0: Well it is a sobering thing to be confronted with evil in the world and it's empowering though at the same time because we get to find out how by the grace of God we get to make a difference in the world. And as we think on these themes I hope there's an urgency about our response as Darren shared. We don't want to be those kind of people who take a brochure home and think I must do something about this. But then life is busy and the pressures are many and the distractions are many and and it can tend to go away. We actually want to be captivated by a sense of urgency. Something needs to be done about the evil in the world that is having such a terrible effect on people's lives. We don't want to prefer the bliss of ignorance. You know that old saying, ignorance is bliss? Well, comparatively it is, isn't it? But would you rather the bliss of ignorance or the responsibility that comes with awareness? I think if you've been touched by the grace of God, the latter is what we would choose every time. And as we dive back into Matthew 24, similarly, as we uh, hear Jesus speaking about some grim things that are going to be happening as the world awaits his return, his goal is not just to weigh us down with gloom and doom. It's, prepare us, it's to prepare us for action. It's to guard us from being complacent. It's to propel us toward the kind of actions that will make a difference for eternity. So a couple of weeks ago as we were in uh, the first part of Matthew 24, as we were in chapter, uh, verses 15 to 22, Jesus was speaking about a terrible time of hardship that's going to befall God's people. And uh, we saw as we dived into history both before Christ and after Christ, how the prophecies of Daniel and the prophecies of Jesus here in Matthew 24 were fulfilled in some really amazing ways. Um, and today, as Jesus concludes this part of his message, he's talking about what would happen uh, in the same pattern as what those earlier events were, but in a a sense of ultimate fulfillment. The the terrible things that we learnt about in history were tastes of what is yet to come in what the Bible uh, describes and what we often refer to as a great tribulation, a period when a world ruler, a bit like Antiochus IV Epiphanes, if you were here a couple of weeks ago, and a bit like Gessius Florus and what happened under the Romans, that kind of world power is going to arise, but it's going to be even worse than anything that has gone before. There will become a leader who will embody every aspect of humanity's rebellion against God, who will embody that satanic desire to take God's place. And when you reject the God of all goodness and truth and love and grace and everything that is pure and wonderful and instead decide to replace him, what are you going to replace him with? It's not going to be pretty, because you've turned your back on the source of true life. And today Jesus concludes the story as he's foreshadowed this event where this uh, world ruler is going to come onto the stage, and it's going to be a terrible time for all those who love goodness. And he describes what he is going to do in response to those events. A second coming that will be very different to his first coming. And it's an event that Jesus urges people in the strongest possible terms to be prepared for. So let's dive back into Matthew 24. We're going to read from verse 29. As Jesus described, having already discussed how bad it's going to be, he's now going to describe what it's going to be like when he comes and puts an end to human wickedness. From verse 29 of Matthew 24 we read these words. Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not shed its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky and then all the peoples of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. He will send out his angels with a loud trumpet and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the sky to the other. So immediately after the distress of those days where this ungodly ruler is going to come to power and do terrible things and inflict enormous suffering on God's people, Jesus is going to return. What event is this talking about? Well, as I mentioned uh, earlier, it's an event that we simply often refer to as the second coming or the second coming of Christ. Remember the disciples had asked Jesus and that's why this sermon is taking place. Uh, after Jesus had spoken to them about the woes that would come upon their beloved city and its temple, um, they said, well, when are these things going to happen and and uh, what are going to be the signs of your coming and of the end of the age? That's what Jesus is answering as he speaks. And so he's talked about the things that would happen that he'd been describing to them previously about what would happen to the temple and so on now he's gone on to the second part of that question where it's about his coming and the end of the age and this is how he describes it in the verses that we've read jesus is going to return in glory he's going to return in power but when is it going to happen when is this going to happen Last Sunday night we stepped through four views of what that might look like, four different views that spirit-filled and Bible-believing Christians over the centuries have held about what we can expect to see happen and in what order these events are going to happen as the Bible speaks about the time of the end. And we're not going to go through all that information because it's a lot of information. It's available online if you would like to check it out on last week's sermon page. Today, what we're going to do is just limit our understanding of what we can expect in the future to what Jesus says on this particular occasion. So we're not going to do a big uh, Bible survey today. From verse 32, this is what Jesus says. Learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its branch becomes tender and it sprouts leaves, you know that summer is near. In the same way, when you see all these things, recognise that he is near at the door. Truly I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Now concerning that day and hour, no one knows, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, except the Father alone. So Jesus has promised, yes, I've been speaking to you about terrible times that are going to befall you. It's going to be worse than anything that has ever been experienced in human history. But I'm going to cut short the days. I'm going to come back and I'm going to make everything right. When can you expect it? Well, what, what sense did you get from what Jesus said there? No one knows. No one knows. But it's kind of confusing, isn't it? Because he also said, now I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things happen. So what's kind of the go there? Um, I want to give you three important points when it comes to understanding what Jesus meant when he said, this generation will certainly not pass away, while at the same time saying, nobody knows uh, when the day or hour will be. Here's the first important thing to recognise about what's going on in that situation. Jesus, as he speaks, has acknowledged, I don't know at this moment in time, which is weird because he is God the Son. Um, And we've seen him reveal incredible knowledge where it's like there is no other explanation except you are God the Son, that you are all-knowing. But here's the amazing thing about Jesus. When he came to earth that first time, he humbled himself and he became one of us And he became like us in a whole bunch of ways, not in every way. He was without sin. Uh, He had an access to the Father that uh, none of us have ever enjoyed. He had a a way of living in step with the Spirit beyond what any of us has managed to do. So yes, he had a, a level of connection with God the Father and the Spirit that we will only experience when we've been made perfect. Um, but yet, he was also at the same time human, and he showed his humility in becoming human, in willingly giving up his uh, om, om, whats the word—omniscience, omnipotence, omnipresence. Work through them. Om, giving up his omniscience, his knowledge of everything. For that time when he was on Earth, he deliberately limited how much he knew about everything because he was wanting to become one of us, to humble himself and to serve us. And it just points us to his amazing humility in what he was doing when he visited earth that first time. So that's the first thing we should recognise. When Jesus says, I don't know, it should remind us of his amazing humility because he gave that up as part of coming to earth to save us. The second thing we should recognise is that Jesus clearly says that we should be able to discern the nearness of his coming even if we can never say it's going to happen at this date and at this time. Uh, I can guarantee you that there's been lots and lots of times in human history where people have been fairly convinced, oh, it must be soon. Have you ever felt like that? Things go on and you say, this is going to be it. Um, and that's, that's been the case right through human history. And if it had been the time, those people would not have been surprised in the slightest. But I can also guarantee you this, that when the events that Jesus has been talking about, this period known as the Great Tribulation, worse than anything else humanity has ever gone through, when that is happening, there will be a deeper sense than ever before, man, the time must be close. This is just so terrible. He must be coming back soon. Uh, so while we think we've gone fairly close before, when it actually happens, we'll know with a greater level of certainty. So when Jesus actually arrives in the way that he's been describing in chapter 24, uh, those who know what to look for are going to be in no way surprised. It is going to make perfect sense. Will we have been able to predict the, the time and the moment that it's... No, absolutely not. Are we supposed to get all interested in, in putting those timelines together? Actually, no. But we are meant to watch for the signs so that we're not surprised. When it actually takes place. third thing that it's um, good to be aware of is that there's two basic interpretations of what Jesus meant when he said, This generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Because the generation that Jesus was speaking to has certainly passed away. So was Jesus, because he didn't actually know, was he guessing in this moment and he got it wrong? Uh, Well, No. Uh, He's just not like that. He he never said anything that was untrue. So how do we understand that? Um, Some people believe that this generation does refer to the people Jesus was speaking to at the time. And in fact, a whole bunch of the things that Jesus was speaking about earlier in the chapter that we've talked about in previous weeks happened within that generation. They saw a whole bunch of things where they go tick, tick, tick. This has all happened just as Jesus said within our generation. The only problem there is one little word. Anyone guess what it is? All. This generation won't pass away until all these things have happened. So unless some scribe added that in later, if Jesus actually said that, then we'd have to say, well, well, no, not all of the things described in Matthew 24 have yet happened. That um, terrible world ruler is still yet to come. So many believe that when Jesus says this generation won't pass away until all these things have happened, what he's actually talking about is the group of people who will be alive at the time that he's just been describing, the time of this great uh, tribulation. So when Jesus says there's going to be this world ruler who will come, it's going to be terrible times for God's people, worse than anything that has ever been experienced. And if I hadn't shortened the days, no one would survive them. But this generation won't pass away until what? He returns. All of these things are fulfilled. Jesus will come back and say, right, enough's enough. I'm making all things new. So that's what I guess uh, I would believe and, and many uh, scholars would believe it well as well. But as you read it, you might have, it, it would be easy to think he's referring to the people he's speaking to at the time. Uh, many of us believe that he's speaking about the people he's been talking about, not the people he's talking to. Does that make sense? Sweet. All right, it's a common question that people have, so I wanted to make sure we address that today. Um, so... Here we go. What's the main point about when is this going to happen? Don't know, but be aware of what the signs are. And I guarantee you, when it's approaching, you'll have that sense. You'll have the sense of it's not going to be surprising if Jesus returns. And we are meant to feel that way. We are meant to feel prepared as it approaches. But there's an interesting aspect of what Jesus is talking about as he uh, moves through what is uh, in your Bibles in Matthew 24, Um, you'll notice when Jesus described his return. How did he describe himself coming? Better than any Marvel movie. He's coming on the clouds of heaven with power and glory. It's going to be amazing. He's going to have his angelic host there. They're going to gather the saints up from the four corners of the earth. The earth is round. We get it, but it's an expression. Um, So this is going to be a really glorious event. Now, how might people respond to seeing something spectacular like that happening? Better than um, any superhero, uh, better than any kind of alien type movie, this is going to be an amazing event, power and glory. It's not going to be, wow, that's amazing, that's awesome. What did Jesus say people's response is going to be? They're going to mourn. What's with that? Well, Jesus goes on to explain the reason behind that as we read in verse 37. As the days of Noah were, so the coming of the Son of Man will be. For in those days, before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day Noah boarded the ark. They didn't know until the flood came and swept them all away. This is the way the coming of the Son of Man will be. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding grain with a hand mill. One will be taken and one left. In Second Peter chapter 2... Noah is described as a preacher of righteousness. And in 1 Peter chapter 3, uh, he'd written that the people of Noah's day did not obey as God waited patiently before sending the flood. You see, the flood was God's just punishment on those who did not believe the message that God had sent them. The message to repent and obey. They continued to do evil while God called them to repentance and salvation. So how do you think they felt when judgment arrived? Felt terrible. Felt foolish. Uh, Felt regret. That's what the second coming of Jesus will feel like to people who have not believed God's message and obeyed it. And Jesus' illustration at the end of those verses was of normal activities, uh, people being out in a field working, people doing domestic duties. Some will be taken, some will be left. People we know well, people we work alongside, people we may share a home with. The illustration of the flood seems to indicate that to be taken away means to be taken away in judgment. And as you continue to read through chapter 24 and into chapter 25, that's also the sense you get from Jesus' sermon. It's sobering, isn't it? So Jesus continues from verse 42. Therefore be alert, since you don't know what day your Lord is coming. But know this, if the homeowner had known what time the thief was coming, he would have stayed alert and not let his house be broken into. This is why you are also to be ready, because the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So it will be a cause of mourning in, in the world. What kind of regret would you feel if you'd been warned about a thief coming and ignored that warning, didn't believe it? Or maybe you thought it might happen, but yeah, my house is probably you know, secure enough, it'll be okay. How regretful would you feel when your belongings had been taken away and even members of your house uh, may be uh, attacked? This is why we ought to be ready. Jesus reminds us that we won't know the specific day. We do know the day will come, so be alert, be ready. What would a homeowner do to be ready in those days? What would you do if you were warned that it's one night this week somebody was planning to come and rob your house? For us, it might be as simple as, well, I'm gonna keep my phone by my uh, bedside and if something happens, gonna dial triple zero, police will get here nice and quickly, that'll sort that out. I'd probably be extra vigilant and checking the doors, you know, before you go to bed and the windows. Um, In those days, triple zero wasn't quite the option that it is today. Um, So responsibility really rested on that homeowner. So what what are they going to do? Yes, they're going to bolster their security. Um, And in those days, um, yes, doors and windows are an issue. You can lock them. But you've got roofing that's thatched. So you might think of um, thickening that up. You might think of reinforcing that to make it not so easy to dig through. Uh, You might think of training your family. This is what we do if you hear a noise at night time. Uh, You might have members of your household who are old enough to be trained in combat, for example, and given weapons. You might make sure that you always have something with you because it's going to be your responsibility to defend your home. In other words, there's some work to do. You you can't just kind of take the news on board and say, right, I'll keep that in mind. No, you've got to now start getting yourself ready, and once you've prepared yourself, stay vigilant, Pay attention. That's the imagery that Jesus is wanting us to hook into. One author has said our readiness for the coming of Jesus is not in excited speculation. It's not for prophecy buffs who want to work out timelines and count the number of years since that event or this event. Uh, the, The awareness that Jesus is trying to raise as he speaks to his disciples is for every single person to do the work of being ready for Christ's return. And for those who don't believe in a return of Christ, that might sound very alarmist, like somebody who's watching somebody reinforce all their doors and windows and and train for combat and to make sure there's weapons by the bed. They might say, what are you doing? You're freaking out everybody? You're making everyone scared and nervous and agitated? Well, yes, kind of, but are you also making them feel reassured? Because they know that if something should happen that they're prepared for it. And it's the same with us. We can take this as kind of oh, alarm bells oh, this is uncomfortable. We don't like talking about this stuff. Can we just go back to comfortable? Ignorance is bliss. bliss. But when you know that there is something that needs to be grappled with, whether that's an existing evil in the world or some event that is on its way that you need to be prepared for, wouldn't you rather know so you can do something about it? That's what Jesus is actually doing here for his followers. Do you know when it comes to his return, Jesus paints a really beautiful picture and I get excited by it. A picture of what it will be like for evil to be done away with finally, for goodness to flourish, for us to be in the presence of the one who gave his life for us. For us to experience God's goodness for all eternity, it's going to be amazing. So if you have accepted eternal life in Jesus, when you think of the second coming, you ought to be kind of pumped about that. You ought to be like, wow, this is going to be amazing. And that sense of, I don't want anyone to miss out, you ought to be inviting people to come and experience that, doing everything we can to make sure everyone knows that there's something here that you just don't want to miss. The interesting thing about Jesus, though, is as much as he speaks about that beautiful, wonderful, positive element of his return. And for example, when he's talking uh, to his disciples and comforting them because he knows they're going to go through a hard time, he says, don't worry, I'm preparing rooms for you. We're going to be together again. He speaks about that positive element frequently. He speaks about the negative element of judgment more. So we've got to be careful not to ignore that. It's not palatable in our culture. In fact, there's probably few cultures that it is palatable. Um, No one likes to hear the serious message of consequences of sin but since Jesus talked more about it than he talked about the positive element of being with, with him, if he warned more than he kind of enticed, maybe we ought to give attention to being warned ourselves and to passing that warning on to others. Jesus spoke more about hell than any other Bible character, any other Bible author. He's serious about making sure people are ready for judgment. He does not want people to mourn. He doesn't want anyone to find themselves in that position of saying, and knowing that they've missed out on the greatest thing imaginable and actually have a a terrible fate ahead of them. Judgment is not to do with an angry, distant God blasting people for not being good enough. And neither is it about us thinking we are good enough for God and thinking he must be a big meanie if he doesn't accept us as we are. Judgment is about the fact that evil is terrible in all of its forms. And God is serious about finally removing evil from the world. It's about the reality and the humility to recognise that even in me, there is some of that stuff. And I have a choice that I've been given to be... Forgiven for that and purified from it or to hold on to it. But if I choose to hold on to it, my destiny is not in the glorious new world that God has prepared for those who love him. My destiny is to be cast out of that, shut away from it. Only God can end evil forever. That's what judgment is for. And when God brings human and demonic rebellion to an end, goodness will flourish in creation. Judgment is about a God who accepts us as we are. It's also about a God who loves us too much to leave us and his world in that condition. He offers everyone better. The plea of Matthew 24 is, accept the offer. Don't be among those who mourn. And if you've received the offer, do the work that you've been asked to do. Um, By the way, it's not to rush home and start boarding up the windows and and, (laughs) investing in a taser or anything. That's just an illustration. What's the work he asked us to do? Go make disciples of all nations. Be the people who present this offer to everybody. Be a disciple. Make disciples. Be like that diligent homeowner who responds. Be prepared yourself. Help others to be prepared. And Jesus, as he finishes his sermon, is going to give a number of stories to help us understand what that can look like. That's for the end of August. In the meantime, let's heed the warning to be ready. Judgment is coming. It's a good thing for evil to be done away with only if you're prepared for that day. Let's pray. God, as we've um, thought on some very sober themes today, um, it's, I guess, a little bit unusual for us to be tackling such heavy subjects. But as we've thought about, it, Jesus did this frequently because he knew that it's important for every single person to heed the warning. That judgment is on the way. Because judgment is not actually a bad thing unless you've chosen to remain on the side of evil. Unless you've determined to be in rebellion against your good rule. Unless you prefer the darkness rather than stepping out into the light. But we thank you that as Jesus came into the world as the light of the world, he has shown us that the light is so much better. He has made it possible for us to be forgiven from sin, purified from it, so judgment has no fear for us. Rather, we expect the glory that lies on the other side of it when the sin and grief of this world is finally done away with and we can rejoice in no more exploitation and no more evil in any of its forms. Lord, we, we say hasten the day. Lord, we also say thank you for being patient so that more can respond. So that more can accept forgiveness. Would you help us to have that fervency in how we make sure people around us know the warning is real, the offer is real. Lord, produce that passion in us this week, we pray. In the name of Jesus, our Saviour. Amen.